Hello and welcome to another End User Talk podcast. I'm your hostess, Jamila, your lady in tech. Dr. Shelly Murphy is our special guest today on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. I'm glad to hear that. I want to say first and foremost, I know that you are super busy and it's always a pleasure when I send out my um, invitations to get a response. And so I'm very grateful that you accepted mine. So I want to say thank you before we get started for allowing me to, uh, to for being a part and in, in taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. Thank you for asking. I want to share as much as I can because I'm hoping to get more people interested in things that we're doing. And we will. You know what? We're going to keep the we're going to take the guessing out of this and we're going <laughs> to go ahead and let the people know what what's about to happen, what they're about to be exposed to. Before we do get started, do you mind giving us a brief introduction about who you are, what you do, just all of the, the information? Absolutely. And again, my name is Shelly Murphy. I'm also called Family Tree Girl. I'm a professional genealogist and I work for the University of Virginia. My job there at the University of Virginia is to find descendants of the enslaved laborers that basically built that university. And I'm going to say for Thomas Jefferson. And yes, President Thomas Jefferson. So my time frame is about 1817 till freedom, which anytime after, say, the Civil War. And so that's I spend my time doing that. And I've been doing genealogy for well into 30 some years. I started in the uh, 70s just helping my mother. And I retired from a regular nonprofit job. In December 2018 and received the phone call from UVA in July of 2019. And so that is what I've been doing. It's like a dream job, you know, just doing genealogy and things like that. So and and it's a passion, you know, beyond the scope of work. You know, it's definitely a passion. Well, you started from humble beginnings, like most of us within the family, researching, whether it be because of the family reunion that might be coming up or, you know, looking and skimming through the old photo albums, you know, talking to a grandparent, just wanting to know about our family history. And, you know, most of us got our information from our elders and they're passing. And it's like, if you don't get that information, it's lost forever. But you stated that you were doing it for your mom and you just became the 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 family genealogist. I kind of <laughs> took over for her. Right. Yeah. You know, I started helping her because she made comment several times that, you know, her grandmother always talked about the past. So I first had to understand what that really meant. You know, I didn't know but one grandmother. So who she's talking about would be my great grandmother. And but she said she always talked about the past. And so she talked about her father being enslaved. She talked about her in-laws, the Davis family, and a story about them being enslaved or or the children of the slaveholder and all of this kind of things. And so she just started collecting information. 
But what she was doing, Jamila, this is back in the 70s, she would write a letter and to, say, a courthouse and ask for a birth certificate or a death certificate on somebody she knew, you know, that something she either knew or that her grandmother had shared information. But she always made two copies, the letters she wrote, and then she made a copy of that. And I remember having a conversation with my daddy, rest his soul, and saying, why did you not tell her about carbon copy paper? And Jamila, she still has all of those letters in a box. Wow. Over several years. But she was not exposed. She worked in a factory. And of course, there's five of us kids and stuff. And so she never got exposed to that kind of stuff or anything in an office because she was a homebody, go to work at the factory and come back home. It was about her children, you know, her house, and then now about her family. So I started helping her and the internet wasn't popping like it's doing now. And, and it wasn't even thought about us accessing anything online. So typically you'd write that check or send a money order and you would request records from a courthouse or from the state, whatever the situation might be. And so that's what she was doing. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to help her, you know, thinking, well, daddy, you didn't even tell her about carbon copy paper because she's trying to make a copy of it. And I get it, you know, just not understanding because I'm more out, you know, and stuff. And I'm out of school, high school at that time. And so, again, that's how I got started hearing the stories that she's relaying about the family. And that got me curious because, you know what she said? Her grandmother told her that her father, George Marsh, was a slave. And that just totally freaked me out. What do you mean a slave? We got slaves in the family. What do you mean? Now we're talking about the late seventies, you know, wait, we don't have slaves in our family. We're up in Michigan, you know, type thing. We, we don't have slaves. And so that was the curiosity that got me. What does that mean? You know, because we didn't get that type of education in school. Definitely wasn't getting it in Michigan or anywhere. They still not getting it, you know, even today. But I wanted to understand what was she talking about or what did she remember? Because her grandmother passed, I believe it was 1956. And so I was too young to know that I had a great grandmother. I was born in 52. So I have no knowledge. I only knew my mother's mother. And she was around until 1990. And so, you know, we're basically raised in a family and there was a woman leading a family, you know, and that would have been her mother because nobody on my father's side, you know, as far as his parents, everybody's gone, you know. So I had the one grandparent. But again, it was that curiosity of who came before me. Am I like any of those people? Am I doing certain things? Where did they come from? Because I knew there was not slavery in Michigan. So that got me going pretty much right there. Well, I do have, within being that you were the the designated or became the family designated Mm -hmm. genealogist, is there any account within your family history that you recall that stood out most in your mind? 
Well, one of the things that, and I've learned this over the years, that in small communities, and this stands out to me really prevalent with the UVA research, is that everybody's connected. And and there and and it can be white, it can be black. We're just all connected, you know. But there's a lot of challenges when conducting African American genealogy research, and and those are things that people need to understand. And number two, understand that not everything is online. You think of what's on these databases like Ancestry.com or FamilySearch.org or whatever it is, even the National Archives. Those records were not generated at that level. Those records are generated locally. So if I could give any word or recommendations to people that are getting started you exhaust what's at that local level. Wherever you think your people are from, that's where you got to tap into. Don't worry about stuff online. That's about convenience, right? That's really about convenience, being able to get it online. You got Ancestry, that's a paid site. You got Family Search, that's a free site. And it'll always be free. That's the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, or a.k.a. the Mormons. That's FamilySearch.org. It's free. Ancestry is a business, other people, and you're going to pay for Ancestry. But they have a lot of similar things on both of their sites. But you want to be able to, if you can, juggle between both of them. Because one might have a little bit more on one collection or something like that. But people have to understand what they're going to be dealing with if they're going to start with African-American genealogy. And again, I mentioned the challenges. Number one, just like I said, at the local level, that's where those records are being generated. So people from these companies came in. Now, of course, they're digitizing, scanning them. Back in the day, they're making copies and photographing, whatever you want to call it. And then they put it up on site or they have it that their place that you come in and look at. But to go to successful research is to get to that local courthouse, cemetery, their historical societies, public libraries and get what they have. You have the convenience online, but you need to realize as an African-Americans, we're not the holders of the paper and we didn't create the paper. We didn't even create the laws. So go where all of that happens first, you know, when you start this journey. But the other thing is you want to also start making notes about what you know. And so this is what we try to encourage people. You know, it's not just Shelly. It's it's all the genealogists that do teachings. And I've got genealogy buddies across the country. Start with what you know. Write it down. And then you set your goals and your questions, whatever it is. Just like you said, what is the one thing? You know, well, one was about George Marsh being a slave, you know, because I'm trying to conceive. What does that mean? We're in Michigan. There was no slaves up in Michigan at the time that I knew about George Marsh. And so at that time, I also didn't know how to back into this. So there's the challenges of people that know the information, 
and they're not sharing it. And a lot of times that information goes to the grave. And I'm talking about our families, you know, your families or whatever. There's secrets typically in everybody's family. And and I remember growing up in the 50s and 60s and you didn't talk about slavery. You know, that that just wasn't openly discussed, you know, and it wasn't that everybody was ashamed of it. It was just that you just didn't talk about it. So a lot of things didn't come down generationally as an oral history. But in some families, some stories did come down. So you're able to pick up because that oral history is so critical to whatever you're getting ready to embark on in the research, because those are going to be tips, they're going to be leads to you possibly finding where your folks are at. So again, getting over some of the hurdles, there might not be a record like you think of right now, birth, death, marriage. Now, if I'm in slave era time, probably not going to find a record like that, because African Americans were property. They are considered property just like the animals and the farm equipment and everything else. And so you're not going to find that sitting at the courthouse necessarily. So you got to find the slave owner. And I'm going to classify this as the white people, as it being the slaveholder as far as I'm referencing my family. Because it could be a Native American slaveholder and this, that, and other. But I'm going to focus on the white man that enslaved my family. I have to research the white people and who's around my people during that slavery time. And what is it like Mr. Rogers said, who's in the neighborhood? You got to know who's around your people as well. African-Americans cannot get through the research without researching in this country, without researching the white people. So that's another one of those things we want to make sure that gets out there because you, you're you not going to find just black records that, no, we didn't create the laws. We didn't make the records. We're part of the records, but we're not the holder of the paper. So being able to access and work with people, say the descendants of the slaveholders, is another goal that people could strive to get. If they find who that slaveholder was of the family, you want to open up that dialogue and and maybe you can have conversation because that family might have records about your people who were enslaved on their property or in their family. That is so interesting that you say (laughs) that, uh, talking about you are correct, we don't have conversations in terms of slave no. or, or the idea or concept that someone in our family was possibly enslaved. So what you're basically, and it, it makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. the way that they kept the records, just with my limited knowledge on, mm-hmm. on this subject, the way that they kept the letters and the facts, or excuse me, the information and the fact that we were constantly sold. Yes. Well. Well, let's clarify that. So you're bringing up a good point. And I'm going to say African-Americans could be bought and sold. Yes. They also, Jamila, could be mortgaged. They could be insured, used as collateral. And they're also just gifted. A slaveholder could gift 
a woman or a man or somebody's children to one of their children. So there's parameters around that. And some are, oh, well, we can rent you too. And that's what I do with the at UVA because UVA use rented labor slaves or hands as they call them that built that university. So they did basically hired from a plantation over, owner their enslaved people to work, say, six months or a year, whatever the time frame is. So, yes, there is several components. It's not just buying and selling. And again, property. So people have to understand when we're talking about slavery, this just basically understanding African-American genealogy. This was about money. And I'm saying the slave system, money, economics, people were property. And again, buying, selling, renting, mortgaging, gifting, whatever you want to call it, you know. And then some people were so deep south that now the only access we might have to find them is to open up the door with DNA. And so that's another question. But we got to always follow the money, follow the land. You want to follow the community. You want to follow the water and then follow the faith of the people. That's kind of the basics that I use as a mantra for me to walk through different records. If I stay keyed in on those things, then I can look for records that could have came out from any one of those situations. Because again, they're not seeing African-Americans as humans. And the slaveholders were whites and Native Americans. So don't think it was just the white people. No, Native Americans were slaveholders as well. But it's it's so, I mean, just we're talking about this concept of who the actual slaveholders or owners mm-hmm. were. It 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 goes beyond just the United States, you know. Oh, yes. I, I don't, I, this is, <laughs> it's such a broad subject matter. We can really get caught up, but in your, we'll just talk about what you specifically do. You have someone coming to you and they have very limited information. Correct. Um, where do you start with someone like that? I mean, I know you're saying it's key points. Think, where do you think your family resided? Has your family always been in this state, this city, this country? Where do you go with someone who just doesn't have a whole lot of information? And again, they're just, again, word of mouth, or I think this is where I've been, <laughs> you know, all my life. Perfect example. And and I mentioned it earlier, start with what you know. If you know where your mom and daddy, which you pick a side, which one you're going to work on first. You can still do them both, but pick one that you can concentrate and focus on. And what do you know about them? Do you know where your parents were born? Or do you know where your grandparents were born? That's a start. Go with what you know about your family. You know where you were born. And then think about whatever side, your mom or your daddy's side, you're going to go back. And then deal with where were they born at? Now, somebody can be born in a county and also not live there or a city or a county, right? Same thing when somebody dies, 
You also want to verify is that also where they lived? Because a lot of people will make a mistake and say, oh, where I see this on the death certificate. Well, you want to verify kind of what's on that death certificate. Just don't take it as the word because somebody could be visiting somebody else. Wherever you die, that's where your certificate is at. That is not possibly where you live. So you want to verify that right there. But you got to concentrate on what you know. And as you're writing down what you know, you're also thinking about what you don't know. And that's the beginnings of your research plan. So I take you for an example. So, you know, your mother was born in, say, you know, Rochester, New York, right? First thing you're going to do is try to find a birth certificate. Maybe your parents weren't married. Maybe your parents were married. You want to resolve that. Because if they were married, there might be a marriage record. If that parent is still alive, where did y'all get married at? Or if they weren't married, where was he or she living at? So this is how you're walking back into time. And then you're going to go to the grandparents. And typically you think, I want to collect information about a birth, a death, a marriage, buying or selling land, right? Just where are they at? And then did they go in the military as far as something going on? Because depending on when someone is born, you also got to think about what else is going on in the country. Did, you know, was it around World War One? Was it around the Civil War? And find out what was going on in those communities as you start collecting records. And one of the nice things about the National Archives and the federal government is they took the population census. Now I'm talking about federal. Every 10 years from 1790, and right now we can look at 1950 population census. So you can go in, you can get them online, ancestry or family search, and you're looking at the county, that location, and find your people there, right? You can go right down, you can search by their name and look for them and see family members. Sometimes you don't know who the grandparents' names or the great-grandparents' names. Then you got to think about, well, what record is going to show those people's names? So if I'm looking for my grandparents, then I'm going to check the birth certificate or death certificate of a parent in order to see if their parents were listed on that record. And that gets you back another generation and you kind of keep going back. And then you have that population census that only comes out every 10 years. But there could be errors on there. So I want to raise a red flag and say, just because it's on a record doesn't mean it's accurate. Those early population census, we don't know who gave the information. They could be saying in 1870, it could have been the kid next door to saying, oh, the Williams people, oh, um, I think they came from Virginia. Or, oh, I think they came from Mississippi. And now that's on that record. And then you got somebody today looking and saying, okay, it says they're born in Mississippi, which might not even be correct. So, again, this is how you want to kind of check.
you know, and, and check behind yourself. And so just don't assume everything is correct that's online and especially not in the public genealogy trees that are online. And I had a, a conversation today with a gentleman and it showed that the ancestor that he had in common and it, we're looking at this other tree and they said they were born in one county and he had another county. Then when I pulled up and I said, well, what evidence do you have to support this county? He said, oh, well, that was listed on the death certificate. And then I look at this other person's tree with the same people and it had another county in it. Where did they get it? Because he's got some supporting evidence from a death record or whatever it was that said they were born in Nelson County. And this other guy had Albemarle. And I thought, well, wait a minute. So right there should be a key to say, wait, we need to resolve this. Because you don't want people out here giving information that's incorrect or telling the story about their family and things just don't make sense that, you know, or mm -hmm. you created something built because you keep looking at all these public trees that have inaccurate information because maybe they're the trees to find information. In other words, I build a tree on your family and let's see where we can collect records. You say I was adopted. I don't know who my biological parents are. All I have is this last name. So I could build a tree just putting your name in and then the suspected bio parents last name and seeing what hits I could get. Or a lot of Again, the, huh? that that makes a good point. And a lot of things that you also find in your research, or at least found in mm -hmm. my daughter's um, father's family, mm -hmm. where you would find that just because individuals are living or reported to be living in a house, yes. they are not always blood relatives. And with a lot of the hopping around that we had to do the travel, mm -hmm. you come across people and, and you just, you become friends or you become, this is my cousin, you know, it's, right, it's right. not legal adoption. They're just an addition. And we've been together for so long. Yes. Or they yeah. take on children. You know that how we like to call people our family. Yes. And there's there, no blood. There's no That's blood still uncle tie. and auntie. Yes. There's no blood or children who, who yes. were lost parents or yes. something. Yes. You just adopt these kids and you raise them as your own. So yes. you got yes. all of that, that to contend with as well. My family, William Davis and Mildred, they took in 17 children besides their own. People were even dropping babies off at their house, abandoned them. Mm. Some of those kids took the Davis last name and some didn't. And so, again, even if you look at a man and a woman in the census, until that question is asked, you know, what is your relationship to the head of the household? Don't just automatically assume that that's a husband and wife. Mm -hmm. It could be a brother and a sister. It mm -hmm. could be the sister and those are her babies that are there. Mm -hmm. And she was never married. So they don't have a different name. So it looks like it's a husband, wife, and children. You just want to do a little bit more research just to lock that down.
And and that's another thing. And remembering following the money, the land, the water, you know, all of that. You want to find out what else is going on. What other records, birth, death, marriage, buying and selling land. Those are really the basics. So you're you're building your research, really asking questions. And I always say genealogy is about time, place and asking questions. You know, because again, what people had before us saying we're here in the 21st century, there's no glimmer, no glimmer of what we do and what we have access to, right, that they had back in, say, the 1850s or 60s or even 1900. You know, look at what we have. And access is another one of those challenges for African-Americans. Yes, we can get some records from the courthouse. We can do this and that. But a lot of those property records, and remember, African-Americans are property during slave era time. Until that civil war is over, you got to find that slaveholders property records. Where was he paying taxes? Is there an appraisement? Is there of his property? Is there inventory? Are there any receipts for buying and selling property? And so those are all key factors to think about. And we just can't make assumptions unless we're going to work through to resolve whatever the assumption is, to try to get the closest you can to say, that is my family or that's my person. So many people got the same names. You know, it's unbelievable. And I I talk about this quite a lot. I've been looking for a man named Bob who was enslaved and rented the UVA. It's going on six months now. I don't know what name Bob took. Bob had the opportunity, if he made it to freedom, to pick a name that he wanted. And it didn't have to be the slaveholder's name. That's another one of those myths out there that the people that were enslaved took on the slaveholder's name. You know what? And they that, did not. It's that is a good point. 50, I'm, yeah. And so we know my name is Murphy. I know that ain't coming from Africa, but that doesn't mean a Murphy was the enslaver. I did find in some genealogy or just research that there were families, and I'm not sure what drove this. I, It's an assumption as to why they did it, but as they were researching their family's history, mm-hmm. they were able to find relatives that they had lost contact with. Um. And this is what they did. They actually combined the two names. Mm-hmm. So they they combined the surnames. Mm-hmm. So that's not a true surname that the new generation is they under. They made it. Which <laughs> it's but it was because we had lost as a result of slavery and as a result of just trying having to leave and flee mm-hmm. and rebuild. They had lost connection with their family, but because someone was resilient and determined to yes. make certain that I'm going to find my people. Yes. I'm not losing them again. Yes. They did finally, uh, and they were able to retrace their roots in Texas. I think that's brilliant. 
I've never heard of them doing people, you know, coming across in my research doing that. But you also got this thing about the spelling. Folks, spelling does not count in Mm -hmm. genealogy. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to just attach a name. You know, try to follow that first name. And again, you just gave a perfect example where they put two names together or they took another name. About 10, 12 years ago, I met a gentleman named Walter Washington. He was a white man. I had to stand there and tell him he was the first white man with the last name Washington that I had met in my life. Hmm. That was only 10 years ago. And he was a descendant of GW's brother, this, that, and the other. You you know, he was a, a, a Washington from who we all think of Washington. But I had never met a white Washington. And I mean, there's so many Jeffersons, and I live around by Monticello. There's so many people with the name Jefferson, but does that mean Jefferson or you descend from people, the 600 plus that Thomas Jefferson enslaved? Absolutely not. But you could with the right research. But what's beautiful about some of this for us researching is that because when people became free, number one, they would, the military oversaw what they called the Freedmen's Bureau. And this was set up, of course, at Lincoln, by Lincoln, and the military was overseeing it. They set up field offices throughout the South. And what this was, was for the people now who are who need assistance, say, formerly enslaved, right? They could go to these field offices and get some help. What kind of help did the field offices offer them? So this is that critical collection um, that people need to pay attention to. There's 3.5 million records, right? Images that are out there. This Freedmen's Bureau, and it's called the Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen, and Abandoned Lands, or Record Group 105. It is its own collection. It's right after the Civil War. People can go there to get food, which they'll call them rations, reports, get transportation money. Well, you think, well, what the world with transportation? What would a slave need transportation? I walked in there. And I tell that agent in that freedman's office, in that field office, and I say, my husband and my two boys got sold to Mississippi. And this is who they were, who bought them. So that field office is going to write a letter to the field office closest to wherever they would have went and say, we got the wife, this, that, and other, trying to find them. Then a letter comes back. So you got this communication going back amongst the field offices. So you got rations, transportation, because the field office would give them transportation money or provide transportation to get them to Mississippi to reunite that family. The other thing they had was people could file a complaint. We have come across, Jamila, it's unbelievable. Some of these stories are heartbreaking. 
is that you'll have after the Civil War, supposed to be free now, and you got these former plantation owners still holding on people's babies. And and they're sitting there holding them and saying that the parents aren't fit or the mother's not fit. And that's why they were keeping the babies. And other times it's about back pay. They could file a complaint. They could go to the Freedmen Court or they could be referred to the regular court in that county. So another big thing for records and, and here, the biggest thing is you're getting names. So if you're able to track from the plantation to freedom, now you have opportunity, especially if you know the name and the location, to see if they access one of those field offices. But the other thing are labor contracts or employment contracts. Nine times out of 10 with the work that I do with the University of Virginia, I have found that if I find the slaveholder and a person getting a job and that person getting the job is a person of color, nine times out of 10, that person that's hiring them is their former slave owner. So you're getting the slaveholder possibly of your ancestor. And so you've got these labor contracts. And a lot of times they're telling who all is involved. Some of them will even say former slave of and give the name of the slave owner. Might have children's names in there. It could be relationships. The son and the sons and here's their names. But you also had, as for Virginia, they didn't legalize, I'm going to say it this way, the Negro marriages, because you had people living together on plantations, cohabitating. They have babies, this, that, and other. Well, in Virginia, February 27th, 1866, they General Assembly approved that Negroes could get married, legitimately have marriages. Go figure. Anyway, you'll get the name. On some records, you know, you're looking at the marriage record. And this is in that bureau, that collection. And it's my favorite collection. But it's it's my only hope in finding who I'm looking for, for my research. But you'll get the name and the age of the husband, name and age of the wife. And they might list the children and what the profession is of the husband and the location. And say they're in Louisa County, Virginia, and they give their names and their ages. And you know what? Some of the records even say he had a former wife named Sally. And they had three kids and give the names of the kids and possibly their ages. This is throughout the South in the field office records. They're pretty much the same, but they might look different from state to state to county. And so one of the favorite websites I use is called Mapping the Freedmen's Bureau. And it's online. It's free. A couple of my friends, my genealogy buddies, my friends built this database. And what they did is they mapped all those field offices. And then when you click on that little map where the field office say it's Albemarle County, Virginia, a box of pop-up, 
and then you go right in and it takes you to either National Archives or to Family Search. And then there's records also on Ancestry. So you can go right there and look at the images. It's just absolutely fascinating, especially when you find somebody. But the challenges were there too, as well. Because those folks that worked in the field office, they also had to deal with the local community in which there was violence. They didn't like those folks around those field offices throughout the South, did not like people taking care of those slaves. In other words, you got white people not liking these white people helping these formerly enslaved people. So they're still trying to hold on, you know, to that system that was still there. So in the Bureau's eyes, they didn't feel as they were that successful. But for us now, we got 3.5 million records to access to you know, try to find all, our people. All of this is it. It kind of just makes your heart sink, or at least it mine does. is sinking. The violence is unbelievable, and and people have to recognize. Yeah, we get all this glory and all this fun stuff. Yeah, I've been on CNN. Yes, I've been on Today Show. But mm. you also got to know what happened, you know. And I think of 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 the CNN uh, program I did with Victor Blackwell. That ancestor of his was illegally enslaved her and her children for almost 25 years before that one judge said, all right, go get these testimonies. You keep saying you're Sarah's daughter, go on up there and get them. We'll send people with you. She was held in bondage with her children, still saying, I'm supposed to be free. My kids are supposed to be free. I am Sarah's daughter. 25 years still being held. And then finally got it straight and won her case. You know, Unbelievable. It, it is. And that's exactly how I was introduced to you is through that CNN report. Wow. And, you know, just watching his, um, mm-hmm. you know, the one thing with African-Americans or, or Black mm-hmm. people, however you identify yourself. And even that within itself, just trying to identify ourselves. So much of that is lost, you know, and to be able. I don't want it to be found, Jamila. But, you know, but to be able to know your family's mm-hmm. journey. Yes. And to see where what makes you all of these things that have gone into making you who you are today, your yes. your strengths, your weaknesses, your desires, your dreams mm-hmm. to go for so long and not know what where any of this has come from. And then to be able to find it and you're hearing stories. Yes. I hate to say stories, but accounts. That's accounts. It's accounts of people mm-hmm. who went through the impossible. Right. And they were able to achieve some people in in watching some people's research. They were public officials in the worst times possible for a black person to be able to be in the face and helping make decisions, policy to be the voice. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, people always we're the voice now. Yeah. If we don't talk and tell these stories because somebody else has controled this narrative long enough, Mm. that's my position. They're still trying. Yeah. 
and and it's even worse now. And and in my own personal belief, this is just me, and I'm not speaking for anybody else or the university, but we're on the brink of 1859, and John Brown's about to have his thing at Harper's Ferry, and then we're going to have the Civil War, because there is so much stuff that's bubbling, and it's kind of scary. But as far as this genealogy research, I have to commend UVA for what they have done. And it was, I don't know if you know, that was a student-led, pretty much, they didn't agree. They they heard this apology, right? Apologizing the Board of Visitors, who's over the universities and stuff, they apologized for slavery in 2007. And the students was like, oh, that, that, that ain't enough. That ain't enough. What do you mean? You know, so they formed a student group and then the president got involved, nominated this commission. It was called the President's Commission on Slavery and the University. And there it goes from there. And they got this beautiful. But the um, one of the things I want to make a point is the community was involved all the way through this. That's what made it so successful. And so, you know, it it's done with taste. The folks were involved as far as the descendants, those that were identified and others, but they took it to the community and they went from there. So I had to sit here and say, okay, what am I going to be dealing with? What do I know about this? And one of the most fascinating things for me was to find one of my own on that list. One of my own was one of the slaveholders that rented people to UVA and it just busted wide open. And so, so one of the things I'm going to make sure that, that we get out that there's slave era things that you need to know. You got to know what the law was, you know, so you know what you're dealing with, which wherever the, whatever laws in place, could tell you where a record could be. You want to see if you can find emancipation or manumission papers. Are there slave narratives? Are there books out there, family genealogies that they're talking? And I'm saying possibly whites and blacks that they could be talking about somebody that was enslaved or free as well. And look for the plantation records, the bill of sales, the inventories. You also want to know if the slave era research in that area had been done before. That's why you got to connect with those historical societies, the public uh, libraries, find a genealogy group and just keep sharing. So it's key to get there. And then the collection that Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen, and Abandoned Lands, if you feel that you had somebody that was probably enslaved, even free, but enslaved, you want to tap into that record set and see if you find anything, or even if there was a field office in the area or the closest one to you. It takes time. But look how long we're about to embark on 250 years of this country. And there's a whole bunch of mess that ain't been right, ain't been told right, that is coming forth even more now. And and as far as this memorial, you know, that's up at UVA, it's got the names 
and it's got their occupations. But the best thing that I enjoy, I love walking through there and put my hand on the wall. It also says relationships. So in other words, I'm not just saying, oh, here's the name of a slave. No, grandmother, mother, sister, cousin, Mm. cook, Mm -hmm. seamstress, brick mason. So we're nephews, whatever is in the record. And and I know there's controversy about people saying the word slave and enslaved. You ain't going to find the word enslaved in no record during that time. That word is not there. They ain't in no document that people were enslaved. You know what I'm saying? When I'm looking at inventory or I'm looking at a, uh, uh, a plantation owner's books and stuff, he doesn't say enslaved. He says slave, Negro, black, mm-hmm. you know, very seldom will you see colored, maybe later, you know, as far as time. And I don't want to diminish what people are saying. Don't call them slave, you know, call them being enslaved. And that's the status. I get that. I do this seven days a week, but don't diminish what is in that record when that's all we got to go. And that's the resource. And, you know, yes. that's one thing that always confuses yes. me, or I don't want to say, it bothers me that we've got to try to change and soften. Don't need to soften it. Because that's Don't the way it. it was. But I do want to say this, and this isn't veering off. It's mm-hmm. in your professional, being that you're, you've doing, mm-hmm. done this professionally for a while. Mm-hmm. I've asked this question. I haven't really gotten the answer. Mm-hmm. What do What do you think it is? Or why do you think they're trying so hard? to keep our history, the truth of our history buried? Why are they fighting so, it's it's relentless. It's a relentless fight. But what is it about our history that, that causes all of this anger? Well, number one, they know about Africa. They know about how powerful with resources and people and they don't want to claim that the root root of humanity started in Africa. White people weren't born until later. Everybody is coming from Africa. In a good documentary to, for people to understand, it's called The Real Eve. And in Discovery Channel, this is several years ago, they did a documentary. And there's other ones talking about the real Eve. And these scientists and all these people, they know this. That the root of humanity comes from Africa. It ain't come from Great Britain. It didn't come from Ireland or, or Scotland or Poland, Russia, whatever it is. No, it came from Africa, number one. They want to debunk that. And I am mixed, as you can see. So I'm carrying both of these folks up in me. And I'm, I don't disrespect anyone. You're wrong, you're wrong. <laughs> you know, if you're good, you're good type thing. And I've got my slaveholders, the white one. I also got a black slaveholder in the family. But coming back, I think the power of what Africa had is what these other countries saw as a threat. And and they're still trying to keep Africa as the continent, not 
the countries, the continent in a place that they could not dominate. Because if people learn about African history or Africa history, power, power. There's even things I read in in a book comes out of Jamestown and some other things. So, you know, about 1619, the so-called 20 and odd Negroes mm. and this, that, and other. Well, mm-hmm. there's actually 32, but it's, they say 20 and odd, this, that, and other. But that's another talk. But the thing of it is, they thought they were just getting natives out of the bush. No, you got skilled people that came over here and educated people that came over here. Jamestown would not have survived if it wasn't for those Africans. They were even have resorted to cannibalism. Hmm. They did not have some of the skills. Those that came over, and I'm going to say from Great Britain or whatever country they came from, there's enough history out there in books, but it gets tainted a little bit. So we're not getting that image. And I think they keep wanting to hold us down is not to recognize. So somebody told white people umpteen years ago that they were superior. I have my own belief on where that came from, but I'm just going to say somebody pushed that message that they were superior and made that a separate thing. Because in Africa, they're not looking at different races. They didn't get that mess until they came to this country, right? They didn't even get it till it came over here, (laughs) you know, and then now we got all this, all different shades of people and we're labeled. And uh, one of my slides I do in presentations, I have identifiers of all the ones just in my own research, probably 15 or 20 different things that were labeled as or identified as being black, quadroon, mulatto, colored, Negro. I just know of me growing up. I'm colored. I'm Negro. Then it hits into the 70s and whatever. We're getting 60s and 70s. We're getting a little bit of the black, you know. Then we had the Afro American. And now, it's African American. And to my knowledge, I don't think we ever had the choice to call ourselves who how we identify. But you know, and that's the thing too, it's like you have all of this. It's like who mm-hmm. what do you call yourself? And that's that's why I what do me, you identify with? Who do you I you know what I, I look at individuals who come from different parts of Africa. You you look mm-hmm. at your Nigerians mm-hmm. and I look at those people because they have a language they have the, they have, they culture, have their language, language yes. everything and they know who they are they know without a fact where they that. came from and do you know i mean you know because you were you grew up here but to go through life and not know to be you're in you're essentially lost you That's are essentially the nation of islam think about the x I'm not talking about the Twitter mess and and all that. No, I know. I'm talking about the X because we really don't know. Up until a year ago, 
I was banking that we were Murphys and I'm going back. I'm looking for the Murphy. I'm looking for the Irishman. I'm looking for that. Well, that DNA came in there and slapped me in my face and said, sit your butt down. Mm -hmm. You are not a Murphy. Mm -hmm. Your great grandfather is a white man, (laughs) you know, and this is his last name, you know, type thing. And it's like, okay, got it. And if I had not had the experience that I have doing this genealogy, that could have turned totally different. Mm-hmm. And you're grasping for straws to try to exactly. figure Trying out. Trying to find my people. Your Where place. did we come from? Of yes. course, I'm carrying Murphy. Irish, totally Irish. Well, I don't think so. That man was German. And then the DNA's got the German in it. It was like, oh, well, where did this come from? Well, now I know. You know, now you, I know. You and now leaning towards reparations, and I know California is is on the cusp of uh, honoring that. And you know what? I am so glad that they are starting. I was going to bring this up. I don't know if you actually watched this. My apologies. I've got so much in my head here. (laughs) And thank you. You know what? You have been a true wealth of information. You've opened up. You've opened up a lot of factors Mm -hmm. that one would not consider or know to consider. Thank you for that. I'm telling you, it's, you don't think about all of these things that go on. You've mentioned, we've talked about how we just, we're going through life and we're trying to find places and we're on our journey. Some, we Mm -hmm. meet somebody walking this same journey and we, we compliment one another. And you know what? I'm going to take you under my wing. We're not going to lose each other. And we become family because of that bondage. Absolutely. Uh, and then you're losing, just trying to find your true trace of who you are. But your you lineage. know all that was by design. Hmm. Think about that. Well, the, the way they broke us up. The system of slavery, mm-hmm. the whole point of splitting and cutting, what that was just about money. Divide and conquer. There you Divide go. and conquer. And think about it. They and the thing of it is, I have to say this to my people, you got to come back to the family. You gotta come back together. Don't don't be separate because what the design, and this is again my belief, was to keep us battling each other. So you always had one slave that was telling on another, this, that, another, but they got rewarded for that. Mm. They got rewarded the for Uncle telling Tom. on stuff. Mm-hmm. But you also have the slaveholders that thought they had dumb or stupid slaves. Now, you know, those slaves heard everything they were talking about at the table. Mm, of course. Of course. And if they think that that information didn't get spread, why do you think people were running? They got the word they were coming and they were going to sell somebody. Even think about the movie Harriet. That man told them to sell Harriet. That word got back to her. So she was gone in the story right there. And they went chasing after her. So again, people understood. They just didn't think the, I'm going to say race, the race of the blacks that came in from Africa or even born here or whatever didn't have any sense. They thought because they had to beat us to do certain things and all the violence and all this thing. And one of the most horrible things that I've read is from a book called The 
African Founders, and it's by David Hackert Fisher. And and this was, I was reading this book and all the controversy going on about abortions. And I've got that on CNN, you know, NBC, all of this stuff. And I'm getting to this section. Now, this is how bad it is. I got the hardcover book, but I also got the book on audio. So I keep hearing all of this stuff. And this is the logic that I think is sick. And I'm telling you, it's sick. You got the rapings that's going on and all the violence that's happening. Happening, And don't think free people had it that much better. That's another myth that's out there. One, you can't find your people prior to 1870. Number two, you know, a myth that they got just these stupid people, you know, and stuff. Well, we're proving every day that you can find your people prior to 1870. 1870 is the big key for that federal population census where people that were formerly enslaved names are in a federal record. But I just told you about the Freedmen Bureau record, 1865 to 1872 with names. So that just debunks right there. But coming back to this book, you got these slave traders. And there's a couple of books I'd recommend. You know, one is called Ledger of the Chain by Joshua uh, Rothman. And, and then this ab- other one, African Founders. Now, he's t- this is, I'm thinking they had no common sense. But because they believed and acted according to the power they had and the superiority that they held, they would rape these women captives that they're going to sell at these slave auctions and stuff. Now, sometime common sense had to come along here because if you're having sex with somebody and they get pregnant, it doesn't matter if you're black or white. That's just what happens with humans, right? That's just common sense. So the slave trader is beating the women and raping them before they get sold. If they come up pregnant, they beat them until they abort the baby. What kind of mess is that? Number one, you're dealing with your property. If you want to talk about the money, you're just damaging your property. Mm -hmm. Number two, sex equals reproduction. In the Bible, you know, come on, you know, you want to hell this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. you know. And then one woman, as they cited in the book, that happened three times. That man beat her after continually raping her and her getting pregnant three times. He rapes and beats her until she aborts three times. Now, who's the craziest? Right. And who's going to show up on church on Sunday? just makes no sense. And there's no common sense. The whole system doesn't make sense. It's got greed. It's got lust. It's got money. People got to stop thinking that this is slight history. No, we got generational trauma in our heads if we're coming down to the place. That's right. People have to recognize that. You know, in things, there's some days here to me that I can't talk to nobody. I can imagine. <laughs> I'm going to go off. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it depends on what I might have been reading. Might not be one of the enslaved people at UVA. They got a beautiful timeline going around also at that memorial. And it tells about some incidences of beating somebody and whatever was happening. They told the truth. Ain't nobody trying to hide all of this, but they're trying. But you have genealogists and family historians and things and scholars all coming out with these stories. And then you got the banning of the books. They do not want the truth to come out and turn and look at them. But you know, bottom line, the problem, you know, I and I'm so sorry, but you can't have this. We can't touch on this without discussing the 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 effects the 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 reality of it i mean i could clearly just stay on course with this but yeah it it, you're it's coloring with outside the line you're you're overlooking what's happening outside of the overspill right but you know in my mind and just 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 me to me it's like Sure, this truth is terrible. This truth hurts. This truth is scarring on you got that that there's there's issues on both sides. There's yes. there's you know, if you want to stick to that, sure, there mm-hmm. are. And on one of those sides, one group is going to look more terrible than the other. Oh, absolutely. But to continue to try to suppress it, to push mm-hmm. it down, to hide it, to bury it, to burn mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. to think, and I, what also is psychological. And then who's the stupid one? Right, right. Who's the stupid it's one? Like, the one it, that's covering up or is the one you that's trying to tell the truth? And then it's like you're trying to, you, it's like you're telling me that the sky is, I don't know, the sky can get so many beautiful colors, but you're telling me that the sky is burn orange you know and i'm looking at the sky right now well not right now it's blue yes what you gonna do gouge my eyes out yes you know it's that's the extreme that they're going but Mm -hmm. if you just let the truth be the truth and say it and then help each other to deal because we've got to heal but you know what you want to do what you want to do is suppress the the truth but you still want to have this superior these ideas you want to have the same values of the slaveholder there you go how are we how are you doing that? And you're still doing this smoke screen and pitting all of these other communities against us. And right. I always say to people, okay, today it's us. Today it's us and it's the Mexicans. Yeah. You know, they're trying to, you know, make us out to be the problematic group of people, but primarily us. <laughs> it is. And they're they're yeah. putting pitting everybody against us. But I always say, let's say if they're successful, let's say they're finally successful again in doing that. Who is the next target? Yeah. Because yeah. these people are never, first off, they're, they're never satisfied. They're never satisfied. In history, it shows you they hate other white people who are yes. empathetic and who want to help and who are not trying to hide the truth. And, yeah. and, and forget guilt. What is it called? Survivor's remorse or guilt. You know, when nobody's, you know what I tell people <laughs> when I'm talking with descendants of enslaved. I said, first, let me make it clear. First, I ask them, 
How do you want to best communicate? I know this is a troubling topic. This, that, another. This is what I'm looking for. How do you want to best communicate? And then the next thing I said, I want to assure you that I'm not coming up with a truck and backing up to your house asking for my people's stuff. There you go. There you go. Um, that's not what this is about. I want to know if you have any records you can share, not give me, share about my family. So mm -hmm. I'm not taking anything from you. And mm -hmm. in my career, I've only came across maybe four or five white families that are at the table and they want to share. And they, they, they feel like they want to share. And some of them would even like to set up reparation type stuff for the descendants of the enslaved, you know, and which is fine, you know, and you're right, California, right now, everybody's watching them. You know, there's a couple other states that are coming right behind them and things like that. People have to stay awoke. Pay That's attention right. like on that. what's going on mm -hmm. in things because my thing is to make sure reparations is not just about money. Because well, money is what yes. got my people in this mess. Yes. But you got to give me a little bit more than that because you ain't getting mm -hmm. off that easy. I'm sorry. I'm still hanging on to mm -hmm. some of this because Mental I know English. that the my slave, one of my slaveholders in his will or in this court case he had and ties to his will that the house servant and his children, he had a note in there after he'd, you know, for, for the ex executors of the will is said to get Caroline and the babies out of Virginia and take them to Pennsylvania right there. He knows, he knows what would have happened if they would have stayed here. So he he's telling the executors to get them out of Virginia. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he dies sometime in 1826 and they get them out by 1827. And they're up in uh, Franklin County, Pennsylvania. And again, he knew. He knew, he knew, he knew, you know, and stuff. And unfortunately, we've got things that are going on. And now my quest, my personal request, is to find Caroline, that house servant, the mama oh, yes. of your four babies. Yes. Where did you get her from? Mm -hmm. And so, and I, I'm hoping good Lord just keeps me around long enough that I could realize and find where Caroline came from. How wow. did he acquire her? Mm -hmm. You know, and stuff now that I found them over a year ago and got all of that and the kids and, and my second great grandmother is one of the kids and stuff. And I was stuck in Pennsylvania trying to figure out where she was born at in Virginia. And Jamila, she was born right in the next county of where I'm sitting at right now. Wow. And her daddy, the slave owner, is one of the ones that rented three other slaves to UVA. Mm. Mm. Gold mine. You just, and you said earlier so like all of the research is led by mm -hmm. these ancestors. Mm. It's almost like they raise in their hand. Full circle. Find me. Tell my story. 
find mm. me. I am not just a slave owned by somebody. I was right. somebody's brother. I was somebody's mm-hmm. son. I was somebody's cousin, father. Identity. And you know what? Because you are here now means that my mission was completed. Because right. I survived, so you're here. And that's mm-hmm. my thought process. I don't know if that's everybody's, but that is my process. I sit here and I have the pleasure of doing this type of research. And the goal is that if people are looking for their people, join a group, get a group. If they ain't a group, you know, then you create the group and people will come. You know, if you've got a county where you're researching this, that, and other, join the genealogy groups. There's a National Afro-American Historical Genealogical Society that has been around since 1977. There's about 36 chapters throughout the United States, and, and they can join them. Find if there's a local chapter in your area. You got a three-day, and I mentioned to you this earlier, the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute. It's a three-day institute that's held every year, and since COVID, it's been virtual. That is focused on African ancestry. It's gonna, it's got six different tracks that people take over three days. So they're getting 12 classes. The track 1A is specifically methods and strategies. These are the things that you're not going to get at a conference, you know, and someone else telling you. But the coordinators, and I'm one of the coordinators, we saw that there was not things addressing African ancestry. We just weren't getting it. We're getting good training, and I'm not saying we're not, but it wasn't focusing on. I'm going to say my people. And so we created Maggie, the Midwest African-American Genealogy Institute, and we just finished 11 years. We're the only one in the country. So you want the basics, and there's even two tracks just on DNA, a beginner's and an intermediate. And, And the thing of it is, it's not happening anywhere else. Some of the larger organizations, that national organization, they might have a track on uh, African-American or, you know, during they'll have some a couple speakers or every couple of years they'll have an African-American track. Mackie has been consistent. And we started at HBCU, Harris-Stowe in St. Louis. And now we're doing them virtual. And we are training people. We want to get the word out. There is a possibility, a high possibility that you could find your people. And Lord have mercy, then the DNA coming in here, Mm. you know, and telling it all. Yes. The average African-American in this country has 25% European. That was the average. Mm -hmm. And what does that tell you? We're connected. We are connected. So don't push me off to the side, not knowing, you know, with all these changes and things, they don't want to come out. Because you know what? You're probably my blood relative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And and that should change a little bit, you know, and things. Because now, you know, instead of damning the whole family just because you think they're black or whatever it is, that might be your own family. Everybody that came into this country came from somewhere else. Which is another motivation to hush it, to keep it under the, keep it under, you know, and we don't want that to be exposed because now you got to look at yourself. You've been riding on their story their way up into the last five years. That's right. And it's altered now. Now the truth is there. You know what? And with an important factor, I think what we, you know, should touch on with what you mm-hmm. said, you're mm-hmm. you're taking a deep dive in family history and you're finding out, mm-hmm. you're reading all this material and you're mm-hmm. finding things that are psychologically affect mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. When your clients come to you, when people come to you looking for help and they found, they've actually mm-hmm. found the findings, what advice can you give them to deal with the onslaught now, now that they, the residue of finding the truth, whether you're white or black or whatever your, your culture is, how do you tell them to take care of themselves? Talk, communicate, share the information, understand it. How you also feel it and how you communicate will affect that next person. So you want to make sure you're okay with where you're at and what you have found. And and be it the violence or whatever it is, I get stuck just that people being owned, even before any violence or buying and stuff. Just the fact that one human owned another human, and for me, they don't get a pass. They they got me right at the beginning. <laughs> you know, they they got me right there. If you own somebody, because there is no such thing as a good slaveholder. No, because my belief, you own somebody and right there, it's like, who gave you the right? Because as far as whatever faith I follow, I didn't see that in the book, (laughs) you know, that people of this certain whatever had these certain privileges and whatever. But the thing of it is people have to first understand what they have received understand how they feel about it and understand how can they go beyond that and also help the next person probably in the family also be able to understand it and receive it because you can read about it and it can just keep going. But again, I mentioned that I have those days that I'm not talking to anybody. And it's just me and these records. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm having conversation with whoever I'm dealing with or whoever I'm looking for. I'm I'm analyzing these documents, you know, and I'm looking at families, different family groups trying to make these connections, you know. And yeah, name changes. Yeah, there's death you know, and things like that. And sometimes the other day I would, I knew I was going in and, and going to look, and I knew I was specifically looking for the slave and saying, where, what name did you take? You know, my silly stuff, I put woman King up on, on TV for my background noise. And I'm thinking I'm going in here and I am not going to stop until I find this man. 
<laughs> you know, and I kept looking. I found him, you know, but I kept looking. And it was like four and a half, five hours later, you know, and, and I repeated that movie, had it on two times. And I even posted on Facebook, you know, today is not today to talk to me. I got Woman King on and I'm doing specific research looking for some one specific person who was a slave and this, that, and other. But I knew not to have any nicety around me because, number one, I got angry in dealing with that frustration. I'm one of those meditators. I also do my praying and stuff like that because I am dealing with what I have to deal with. Because the ultimate goal that gives me the highest pleasure and happiness is the passion to be able to communicate to another person that I found your person or I found this connection or here's another step for us to look at. I was on today a couple hours before getting on with you with a gentleman. A lot of inaccuracies because they were guesses. And he was following a lot of public trees. And he's trying to see if his lines connect to any of the enslaved laborers. And I knew all the surnames. Didn't mean they were enslaved, you know, and and on grounds at UVA during this construction time or whatever, or that they were even free. But we got to the right location. And there's just some more steps. And I said, I'm familiar with all of these lines, but I know on this line, there's two of them. There's one in Nelson County and there's one in Albemarle County. And the ones in Albemarle are sitting up at Monticello. I said to I got that, but I need to find if those two are the same family. And all it was was one going. And of course, that was something he had to accept. He just assumed, you know, because it was the same name. And I said, you got to understand. And we talked about this earlier. And in my heart just sunk because I was just, you know, telling him I'm familiar with the names. But then I had to go back and say, the spelling doesn't count. It's a common name in this area. Doesn't mean they were there, but we got to do more work to confirm that. And so I have to rethink mentally how I talk back to people because they come with the expectations very high. And then my job is to support or find support for what they think or what they've seen. And so, and that's challenging. So again, as far as either if it's trauma or just the challenges of the research, you have to be able to take that moment and make sure it's almost like strategizing, you know, because I can be putting more trauma onto the family also. You know, if I'm I'm telling, I remember talking to another family, they had not even heard of the enslaved person. And I showed them all the way how I found them and how it tied back to the enslaved person who was enslaved by one person, but came as a gift, to, you know, to that family. And then this guy, Egbert, he rents them, you know, the guy to UVA and this, that, and other. But when the guy got freed, he takes a wife and he goes into another county and there's the line that they come down from. But 
there was the excitement of finding because they had never heard of him. Of course, we always assume everybody's got parents, of course, because they wouldn't even be existed. It, you wouldn't have existed without parents, but they didn't know how to get back. And so that's why understanding those strategies in different things and understanding the challenges that we have to do for research, especially during slave era time. And again, we didn't make the records. We didn't make the law. We're not the holders of the records. We're going to have to deal with that white family or whoever enslaved our people. And and it's funny because the T-shirt I have right now, and I know you can't see it because we're audio, but it this the T-shirt and big letters that said, we were never the problem. And then all the text that's on here is all of the things over time, the atrocities, the violence, and this, that, and other that happened to African-Americans in this country. And again, the big bold letter says we were never the problem. Mm. And that's what we have to come to grips with. We didn't cause all this. Our folks that were enslaved came here by force. They didn't come over here as willing participants to be enslaved. And we didn't create this mess either. And but we're you know, still feeling the effects of it in 2023. Every day. And, you know, you have Every those day. individuals who say, well, they were enslaving one another in Africa. Yeah. It's nothing new to there them. There you go. You see That's it? That's right. I see it. Yeah. You have to get me one of those. <laughs> yeah. But, and again, how, we have to come together. <laughs> now, I feel like I'm preaching. We just have to come together as people, not a race of people. I'm saying as people. That's right. In order to survive this negativity, the sabotage, we have to come together. We're going to have to share the stories. Because That's without these stories, mm-hmm. how do we keep going? We're we can't heal. Going. Mm-hmm. We can't heal. Can't, you can't heal. And you can generational, no healing. And you continue to keep the same scars going and, and repeating mm-hmm. the same. And I'm not going to call them mistakes because they are not mistakes, but the same nature, exactly. behaviors, exactly. and practices. And I know where you've got other things you need to do today, <laughs> but um, I've truly, you know, one thing, the one blessing that I have with doing this podcast is that I'm, I've been blessed to meet some amazingly profound, prolific, uplifting individuals and, and journeys. And I and greatly I'm appreciate that. A little bit. I'm not the expert out here, but on what I do, I know. That's right. And that's what that's what we need. I, I talk to subject matter experts in whatever area or whatever field, whatever work you do, because that's what you do. That's what you're invested in. It's your passion project, as some people like to say. And you're the best person to be able to speak about those things because that's what you that's what that's I'm what doing. You, that's what you do. You know, I, uh, I do want to share that we have, which is a pleasure, and for people that are listening, that the descendants of say these enslaved laborers have come together and formed a nonprofit. And it's the descendants of enslaved communities. Now, they've got an office. They're a 501c3. 
they are out there to educate, to help. They help support me as far as doing the work for UVA. They offer a Descendants Day every year. So if they want more information about that, and I'm saying that as there's an example of what folks can do in their community is come together, stand together, work together. We're educating, you know, and this descendants group doesn't matter what plantation. We're all here in central Virginia and they're there. They're there. They got a newsletter coming out, you know, that comes out on a regular basis. The state of Virginia has a scholarship program that people that if they are tied to enslaved laborers at the university, people could apply for four-year scholarships. Think about that. At the University of Virginia, it's five schools. Mm-hmm. So again, linking up you know, with this group gives them opportunity to hear this message. You know, they got to be a resident looking at going at one of these five schools and all of that. But as a parent, you're watching that stuff. You're That's looking for stuff like that. So I want to make sure and and that people are aware of that because it could be an opportunity that um, somebody could apply for. And it's descendants uva.org that's all it is descendants with the s uva.org and again lots of information even the surnames and things that i'm looking for are on that list and it talks about the research so people can see if they're connected you know and come involved with that group that connects them with me as well yeah well i wanted to ask you one more thing i don't want to hold you up but I did want to ask you a question. I wanted to ask you what, as far as finding our genealogy within the Native American community, mm-hmm. how hard is that? And are as far as like debunking things, because you hear, well, if you can find that, you can get all of these resources and all these benefits. Is that true? And is it any harder than finding our lineage anyway through the African side of it? It's just, it's, it's a little bit harder. Okay. Because, and I don't know why. Okay. But you got a segment of the African Americans that will recognize more of their Native American heritage than they will their roots of their African American. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's troubling. Okay. Nine times out of 10, they have no clue who they're looking for. There could be stories that came down and said because of the way somebody looked or the way their hair was. That's my family. But that's also what the white man told you, too. Mm -hmm. That Indians, two ponytails, you saw that on TV and stuff. Now, as far as Native Americans... You got Indian territory, you got the Trail of Tears. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna tell you another good person to have on here is Angela Walton Raji. She just released a book. She's one of my good friends. And she is your leading expert on the freedmen of the five civilized tribes. Those were the slaveholders of Africans. They were the ones that left on the whole trail of tears and go to Indian territory, which doesn't become 
Oklahoma until 1907. But as far as where the records are, and I'll send her your, I mean, send you, give you her email. Yes, anybody. She is one of the few blacks in the country that talks about that. Okay. And she's your expert. And she will tell you, and her great, and I'm going to tell you another thing about Angela. Angela's great grandmother, which is Sally Walton. Okay. Sally Walton was alive and was her babysitter till she was about six years old. Sally Walton as her grandmother, right? Great-grandmother, I think it is, Mm -hmm. was a slave and became free. Mm. Angela's one of the few people that knew a slave. Yes, she died in 1960-something at 100 whatever years old. But think about the power of that. Man, that word right there. Yes, yes. Whatever she could recall, she I'm recalled. sure it's hard to forget. Yes, that's and not she's been forget. writing and talking about Sally for years. She's one of the few genealogists that speaks at the Smithsonian on this. And one of the things that re- people are researching um, for Native American history is mm. first is to realize wherever your people are, where they're Indian, there. Number one, my family's out of tech. Most of my people are out of Texas. And there probably were some Native Americans there. So you could research that county, right? And find out what Native Americans were there. Now, the story that came down my family was the Blackfoot tribe. Hmm. Well, hell's bells. That black tribe is out of Montana. They ain't out of Tennessee. (laughs) And we've got that story, and we're not the only ones. There's a lot of people. Ours is Cherokee. Yeah, Well, the Cherokee, but there's a lot of research done on Cherokee, you know, because they were enslaved by the Cherokee Indians and the white people and stuff. And Cherokee, you know, they're just now letting blacks of those that became free into mm. the nation. Mm. So again, Angela is one, and Nika Sewell Smith is another one. Nika, look, let me just say this: if you know, I'm look, I'm gonna let you. You know, if you know of anyone that would be suitable and would help me, because I want to get this information out. This is well, I think you so need important, historically. Nika. For you personally, but also for your audience, right? Angela would be that one. Okay. Nika just got in last year or two years ago in the Cherokee Nation. Yeah. And and which opened the door for her son, which also opens the door for her cousins because her people That's were true. enslaved. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. See, those are some of the things that I wanted to because yeah. you hear all of these things and like, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot. But anyway, I want to dispel. Well, and, and Angela just had a great a new book release okay. that actually I should get my book tomorrow. OK. And so that might be perfect timing. OK. You because have my email book, to send me anything. About, Introduce me. I will. I'll copy you, too. And about her book is about what you're talking about. And and so and again, it's just 
it's a compilation of stories. Right, right. And Bernice Bennett is another one. And her it her research and stuff has been the black homesteaders of the South. Okay. Because they don't think us black folks had property. Mm. And our black folks was getting 160 acres worth of land during the Civil War. My ancestors got 160. They applied for it in 1863. See, that's stuff you don't know. That's what I want. That's I what, want that, and again, I, <laughs> that's two people right there. If you find their, if you meet them before, share their information. Oh, share no, I'll just copy both of you. I I'm going to send it. you an email to come from my G- Gmail. Okay. And, and I will copy Bernice and I'll give you their um, books. Uh, Perfect. So see that because that would be prime time. Now, Bernice, I know, is out of the country right now. Okay. But Angela's here, so Bernice might be a little bit slower. Not a problem. But the opportunity to talk about their books and and the whole thing with the black homesteaders, girl. Mm. See, because I'm looking for black designers, black in arch- architecture, and I've been trying to go and comb uh, Amazon. I'm a junkie for Amazon. Look on there because I want to add those to my my. I'm not a reader, but I like to have the books my girls are. They're How old are amazing. your girls? They're young adult women. I have from ages 22 to 25. I have three daughters and my first granddaughter. Okay. Um, and she's she's got, a, she'll have some other historicals. Her father's Mexican and mm-hmm. she's got, so I'm trying to get into this genealogy so that yeah. I can pass it on down because so much is changing. But I do have one more ask, and I don't know if you know this. I want to get in touch with someone about the Aboriginal Torres Strait community. I have tried my best to reach out to that community because it is so interesting. The Aborigines How, over in Australia. Aborig- in Australia. Let me tell you something. I have watched watch a lot of British TV and a lot of their sure. television. And what was funny is I saw this documentary, not funny, but what I saw, I saw this documentary and they talk about a lot of the stuff that's happened to them. There's this movie called Rabbit Proof Fence. I saw a long time ago. Let me tell you what this movie is about. Rabbit Proof. Rabbit Proof Fence is about what happened to the Aboriginal community when the white people came over and they built their little schools. I think they that's the one that, what's his name that did 2020? Mm-hmm. The the, the cop or the whatever his name was. Mm-hmm. I think it's Keith Sutherland. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Whatever Keith that show was he had, he was in there. And don't they also talk about the where they go in and pray and they built a store over a burial ground? Is that one of the parts? No, no, that's not. This one is solely talking about what they would do is is they they go into the Aboriginal community, take the girls. They take the girls out of the community. Now, what they would do is, is they give the thing, you know how they tease the family with little money and little trinkets. Yeah. But what they yeah. told the mothers, is the families, is that we're going to take your girls and we're going to give them education. Right. We're going to properly train them. This is what they did. Mm-hmm. And this is a true story. This is based on a true story. This one particular family where they took the daughter and her sister and a cousin. Mm. This young girl escaped that school twice. Mm. What they did was is they take these girls in these schools and it's more like Catholic. Isn't design. it a, isn't it two sisters? 
Well, it was two sisters and a cousin. I want to say this is might have been the second time. It's been a oh, it's an old, it's an old film. Yes. But what the only way people knew what was going on is because of what this girl went through. She'd escaped and they came back and got her again and took her back. So, but ultimately the whole design of that was to they, of course, they're savages. They Mm -hmm. wanted to get the savagery out of them. And they were ultimately bleaching out. What they were doing was pairing yeah. the girls with white boys. Yeah. Think how many generations, yeah. or how many children to, in to one turn family. On white. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. they would take pictures. And the woman would have however many kids she needed to have in order to see how many it took to bleach so that they didn't look yeah. aboriginal. The features, the color, primarily the color. But are they going to have blonde hair, blue eyes? It was terrible but what they were doing. But their features are so strong. Prominent. Yes. And that was the so hardest thing prominent. to get rid of. But if they could at least get rid of the color, mm-hmm. that dark color, and then polish these girls up. I only know white people there. I only, well, Australia. And not... You know what? Let me check through the Associated Professional Genealogist mm-hmm. and see if anybody's got Australia there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if anybody's in Australia, mm-hmm. then they're more likely to have some expertise. And the other thing is, let me check. I tried reaching out to some of their activists because they have a true story. And the only reason I'm interested in their story is because it's so parallel to ours. Oh, and yeah. back in 2020, when we were, and I did not know this, but do you know that they call them black? Yeah. They are called black men. Do you know that blew my mind? Because we're in this bubble and all we know is what we know. But when I was watching them, it was so weird to hear them identify themselves as black. And we know that they're only being called black because of their skin color. These right. people, they're, they're in their White homeland. people. And <laughs> you know, they're in their homeland. There's no reason to call them anything other than who they are. So, uh, well, I'm going to say this. This is now our homeland and my ass ain't going nowhere. I'm not. Where, where am I supposed to go? We be, well, we built this country as far as our legacies. This is our country. Well, yeah, I don't know anything else, and that's exactly. I agree with you. I'm not getting exactly. on no shit. I don't know. Them people don't like us no way. You get over no. <laughs> they don't want you over there. No, because they think you're lazy. I'm trying you. to see if anybody. But the oh, things that there's some atrocities. Be, I'm looking at um, family. Legacy Family Tree webinars and seeing who has, Mm -hmm. if anybody's got anything. And if you let me. Take your time. I just wanted to mention Let me share my screen and I'll show you what I'm looking at. Yeah, I'll pull it up myself. But I just want to talk to that group because there's still so much negative happening with them. One, Carrie Farmer. And see what her, because she's talking about convicts from trial to freedom. But mm. she might not be talking about Aborigine mm-hmm. people. And we know that Australia was where they sent a lot of the criminals too. Correct. Um, Correct. And so I'm looking at the filters Six top sites for Queenland's research. 
Index for Family History Research. And again, this is all, I'm not thinking. It's real hard to find their information because. If anybody's going to have it, it would be around this group. Okay. Because they are, let's see, education, genealogy, cargo. Um, you know, a lot of the things that they have gone through are so similar to what we've gone through. The tactics that are used. And, oh, absolutely. You know, British is the British but colonizers. You, and it's so ugly. They still live such horrid lives. Their suicide rate is so high. Did you um, ever see that little documentary, the one I mentioned, about they I haven't. put a, um, a grocery store right on top of one of the burial grounds? Mm-mm, nope. I, I have not seen that, but, you know, they just uncovered uh, like those schools I was talking about where they were taking the children out. Um, they just uncovered um, where it was a lot of missing children. Right. And they found their burial where there was this school that they built for that purpose that I told mm-hmm. you, but they did boys and girls. And there was so much sexual abuse and just abuse in general. And they were killing those kids and burying them on the property. And their parents never knew what happened to their children. They were expecting for them to come back. Right. And they never came back. You so know now what? There's that an just aboriginal, there's an aboriginal genealogy network on Facebook. Okay. I got to open that account again. I don't even have Facebook anymore. Well, but let me check. It's, I'm trying to see if I'm looking at black people or just white people. <laughs> uh, right. And, and I don't know, it's called Aboriginal Tracking Indigenous Roots. Let me see what they say. Uh, okay. Not sure they're hitting on the right Aborigine because Aboriginal might mean native and not True. you know okay so tracking indigenous roots that's still aborigine aboriginal genealogy and um, they keep looking at the native american it keeps driving it back yeah that's some of the runaround i've been going through myself yeah looking at the word australia a-u-s-t-r I found engaging with Aboriginal communities. Where do we start? Yeah. So it does have the Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies. And then at the National Library of Australia, they got Australian Indigenous Family History. And there's the SAG, which is the Society of Australian Genealogists. That might be the place. Uh, what was it? SAG? Uh, SAG, Society of Australian Genealogists. Okay, cool. And they've been working on it. And this is at the government level work. Oh, well, well, you have to check that out. But there's also the Royal Australian Historical Society. Finding your ancestors, researching Aboriginal family. 
All right, I got both of them down. All right, I am not going to hold you anymore. Thank you so much. Well, you all, we have got, today has definitely been a treat, and we've been speaking with Dr. Shelly Murphy, and um, this has truly been an honor, a pleasure. Uh, Same here. Thank you. Education. It's It's been a lot of things. It's been overwhelming as well. And I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to share with us today. I'm greatly appreciative to you. But before we go, I always like to let my guests, let the people know, one, where they can follow them, if you're on the socials, if you have any projects working, and any other helpful information you'd like to share. This is your opportunity to speak. My biggest thing to give is to connect with that descendants you know, the website I just gave, that website there, the descendants at uva.org. I am on Facebook, Finding Enslaved Labors at UVA. And they can always get a hold of me there. If people have any connections to Central Virginia, that's the counties of Albemarle, Louisa, Fluvanna, Nelson, Buckingham. Culpepper or Madison, you might have connections to who we're dealing with looking for these enslaved laborers and their descendants. Find me on uh, Facebook and also every Friday to learn about that collection of the Freedmen's Bureau that I talked about earlier. There's a Freedmen Bureau Friday and there's a post there for people to link in. We do it on Zoom. We walk through these records and we're trying to help. There's a bunch of us, about 50, 60 of us every Friday night. And always later on at night, it turns into DNA, <laughs> you know, and they're talk, helping people understand the DNA and things and which test to take or how this, how do we connect these matches and things. And all of that stuff is free. We're just trying to help people understand where they came from and who they are and that we are. I'm going to say the ones because you get called to do this work. And so I believe it's the ancestors that guide us through this. And um, so hopefully, you know, people will reach out if they have questions. There's a lot of genealogy groups on Facebook. Um, Just look for the county that you're researching in the state. And hopefully there's some more help there as well. So I appreciate it. I loved enjoying the time and you let me be myself. <laughs> that's what it's all about. You have to be, that's the only person you can be is you. And I need you to be organic at all times and true to yourself. And thank you for all of the work that you have done, you know, beyond you didn't leave it into your family. You've taken these skills and these abilities to help the rest of us. And a lot of people are not willing to share, you know, they, they keep it bottled up and, and it's a resource that's valuable to all of us. Cause look, we're all just trying to find out who we are, find our place and, and find our self-worth, <laughs> you know, it's hard for that. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. you enjoy the rest of your day. And um, that's, that's it for the, the podcast. We've come to the close of another episode of the End User Talk podcast. I hope that what you've heard today will leave you feeling empowered. Thank you for listening. And remember, every day's a training day.